Welcome in, everybody, to uh, another episode of the Flagship Podcast. I am Chip Brown, along with our fearless leader, the Horns 24-7 Managing Editor, Taylor Estes. Taylor, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine, Chip. How about you? Well, you know, it is the 3,000th day of June, which is unfortunate here in pandemic land, but we always try to help uh, enlighten and entertain here on the flagship podcast. And so we're going to do it again. We're going <laughs> to do it again today, Taylor. We got, um, we got all kinds of fun in store. Well, actually, it's kind of sobering news. I mean, you and I will have fun, but uh, we're going to be talking to Tim Fitzgerald, our publisher, uh, with the K-State site on the 24-7 Sports Network, gopowercat.com, about K-State shutting down its voluntary workouts because they had this surge in um, positive coronavirus COVID-19 tests after it appears some of their players were out uh, mingling, shall we say, it off Being campus. college students, what they were doing. That's right. And that, <laughs> this is going to be a hot topic for us today, Taylor. I, I can barely remember being a college student, but I do know that asking 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old student-athletes not to go out and mingle is like asking a bee not to go to honey. Right. And, I mean, this is the challenge. Not only do you have um, everything else that's going on right now, but now you have to convince 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old student athletes that they're not bulletproof, that wearing a mask matters, that social distancing matters, and they're going to have to be super disciplined from now until the end of the football season if they want to have a football season. Right. Yeah. Because K-State had to shut down for two weeks. I mean, that's the quarantine period, and they lost you know, we'll get into it with Tim Fitzgerald, but they had 90 players tested uh, initially starting on June 1, just like Texas, mm -hmm. getting them ready for voluntary workouts starting June 15th. They had zero positive tests. Then they brought in another group of players, a smaller group of players. They had two positive tests in that um, group. And then some of the players that tested negative started showing symptoms for coronavirus and sure enough they they tested positive and that you know they went from zero to two to eight and then they said if we have any more we're gonna have to retest the whole team and shut down for two weeks and they did they had six more and so they shut down and now they're basically in quarantine which is different from a positive test which is isolation right and we're learning all the all the lingo of COVID-19, but uh, K-State will retest its team on July 5th. And, and it, I mean, they were talking about, hey, this is, this is now a violation of our team rules. If you're out and mingling or socializing and not adhering to uh, the social distancing and, and the mask that all of us are uh, supposed to be wearing, and it could result in your scholarship being taken away. I mean, 
you have to get these guys' attention, Taylor. I mean, because like I said, it could be the difference between us having a college football season or not. Right. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And I mean, what's your take on that? Having I mean, the poll, like possibility of pulling scholarships? Well, I mean, I think you got to get their attention somehow. I, I doubt we're going to get to that point because we're in these crazy out of this world circumstances. And mm -hmm. it, it's, it's one thing to, uh, uh, to have someone break a rule by violating the law or something. Right. Yeah. These situations state to state, it, it's different. I mean, we're more open in Texas than some other States are it. This is so tricky. And K state has said, look, we're not, we're not at the point of pulling scholarships, but right. you got to do something to get these guys attention because I mean, look at the kids at Texas state. I mean, or just look at the kids who are floating the river last weekend in New Braunfels. They're all, they're not wearing a mask. They're all tying up together. I mean, it's, they're college students and they want to get out and mingle and everything. But we're talking about the difference between having a college football season or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a bold approach and I'll be interested to see if other teams kind of follow suit with that. Um, but I think you're definitely right when it comes to, you know, grabbing these players attention. And I think some people are going to think that that's too harsh because they're supposed to be students first before they're, athletes but the reality is i mean school universities have every right to pull scholarships i mean some do it for no reason just because they want to free up space to bring in some better players i mean let's not pretend like that doesn't happen because it definitely does in college football especially in some uh, southern conferences if you know what i mean but <laughs> you know i think that's definitely something that um should be eye-opening for these athletes because one thing a lot of people don't realizes the athletic scholarships are one-year deals. They're not four uh -huh. years. You know, student athletes, when they sign, they're committing at football at least, you know, at least three to four years of their, of their um, college life to the university. But the university really is only uh, giving them one year and it's a renewable deal. So, you know, it's definitely a bold strategy. But with Texas, you know, it's, it's not like K-State's the only team or program out there that's having a higher number of positive COVID-19 cases on the football team. I mean, Texas announced uh, late last week that 13 players had tested positive for COVID-19 or were considered presumed positive. And then 10 other players were put into quarantine that had come into contact with those players. So, I mean, I think Clemson, I think they had about, I think it was 23 of their, of their football players and then two staff members were testing positive. I mean, these numbers are coming in. I think a lot of people are, are kind of alarmed by it. Um, but, you know, Chris Del Conte had said time and again, he expected there to be positive cases. This was not going to be avoidable in any, you know, sense of the, the term at all. And so it's just going to be a matter of how these players, hopefully they follow the trend of what, you know, statistics and science has shown that, you know, younger individuals do not have as, most younger individuals do not have as difficult of a time, um, you know, getting off, getting over it and recovering from COVID-19, but that doesn't mean everybody is in that, in that boat. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to 
follow. And, you know, I, I think it's kind of something, Chip, and I want your opinion on this, because some places that, you know, they haven't reported any positive cases. However, they don't necessarily have to either. So right. I mean, Central Florida is saying we're not going to disclose yeah. what our COVID-19 testing is showing. And, and they're getting blowback on that because it's a public health issue, not, you know, they don't have to give out names, but please let us know the numbers so that we know if you're handling the situation correctly or being negligent. Right. And, and so we are totally off the grid here and, and it's going to be, I mean, the players aren't even around the coaches yet. And that's, that's where this thing is going to get a little scary for me. I mean, July 15th, mid July, when they start the, the ramp up to the college football season and the coaches are around the players, some of the coaches are older. Mm-hmm. And this is this goes for college football, the NBA, NFL, um, who are more at risk, have compromised immune systems, and they they gotta these student athletes have to be doubly careful because they don't want to infect their coaches. Right. And yeah. so there's just all this responsibility because I just have this sinking feeling that we're gonna have a coach or two coaches, maybe a head coach get COVID-19 and really struggle to recover from it. And that's, that's going to set off alarm bells and, and it could be the trigger like, you know, Rudy Gobert with the Utah jazz contracting COVID-19 and the NBA shutting down the whole season. So, I mean, Texas had its positives and is still going ahead with, with, it's voluntary workouts because they have their positive tests in isolation, their, their contact tracing players in quarantine and the rest of the team is going on with, with voluntary workouts and others are taking that same approach. So it's all about your level of communication, your level of testing, and then the student athletes following exactly what's being laid out because I just don't know how you tell an 18, 19, 20, 21 year old student athlete, sorry, this year during from now until the end of football season, you don't get to go mingle. You don't get to go do what you normally do. Your social life is, is, is cut off. Right. I mean, it's, that's going to be hard to, it's going to be hard to contain Taylor. Yeah, it is. But I mean, the, you know, one thing to consider in that, um, since chip is other stu- I would imagine other students would have similar precautions too, if campuses are open. So I don't know if any student athletes can claim that this is unfair or anything, if they're being told that they can't do anything when other students probably will not be, you know, um, as well, if they're, if they are going to classes on campus and the coaching, the coaching situation is one that I thought has been a little concerning all along. I was kind of surprised that some universities started allowing their coaching staffs back onto campus, even though they cannot, you know, communicate right now with the student athletes. To me, it seemed like that was a little jump the gun. And I understand, you know, the reason it's easier to watch film and study film and break down film and game plan when you're all in the same 
room together. And there are some restrictions when it comes to doing that part of the, you know, leading up to the football season virtually. However, I don't know if that's really risk worth the risk of putting all of the coaches together in a room, even if they are practicing social distancing because of what you mentioned. I mean, that Texas is not, it's not, um, you know, they have a pretty young football staff and the big 12 in general, you know, the head coaches are all pretty young. However, you know, Gary Patterson and Les Miles fall into the higher risk age category being over the age of 55 years old. And so that should be a concern. I mean, Nick Saban's 68. Um, Mac Brown is 68 years old. There's a lot of coaches across the country that do fall in line of that 55 and older group that has such a seen, or at least statistically speaking, has seen such a higher increase of complications and deaths um, from this, you know, th- this virus here. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, oh, it's going to be a tightrope walk for uh, for the coaches and the and then again, getting these student athletes to adhere. I mean, think, think about in healthy times, the student athletes who are sneaking out after curfew or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, like my man, Bobby Lane back in the day, I don't know how you'd ever corral him, uh, (laughs) under these COVID-19 guidelines, but it's, it's, I mean, it really is going to be the difference between a college football season or not. In fact, we'll get into that in our love it or leave it. Um, Taylor, we do have a couple other things going on, um, developments since our last flagship podcast. And please get over to iTunes and and give us a five-star rating if you're enjoying uh, the flagship podcast, or even if you're not enjoying it, we take that five-star rating just so our bosses will be um, somewhat pleased with us. So... Uh, get over to iTunes, uh, give us uh, subscribe, of course, subscribe to our, to our podcast here, give us a five-star rating. And, and of course, if you're not a subscriber to horns 24 seven, I always say be an annual member so that you get all the privileges, all the VIP access to all the team sites on the 24 seven um, network. And that, that means you can go over to LSU and read what's going on with the with the Tigers and and all your favorite teams in college football, and Taylor, uh, Texas baseball uh, or the major league um, draft occurred, and Bryce Elder, the Friday starter for the Longhorns, right-handed pitcher, uh, was selected in the fifth round by the Atlanta Braves, and he has signed with the Braves, and I don't blame him because. He got $850,000. Yeah. And that was, he was a fifth round pick. That was well above uh, the slotted money um, for him. And, and that's, that's great. The, the Braves had money in their pool to spend on Elder and convince him because he was a junior. And, and that did it. So he is, he's signing with the Braves. And, and Duke Ellis, who was a senior this year, but of course the season was cut short and the NCAA has given those seniors in spring sports an additional year of eligibility, but he uh, decided he was undrafted in the MLB draft, but did sign as an undrafted free agent with the Chicago White Sox, the team that his dad played for, and he got a $20,000 uh, signing bonus, which is the max this year in this weird 
COVID-19, only five rounds of the MLB draft. If you went undrafted, your the most you could sign for was 20,000. So uh, good luck to both of them. And then Cam Fields, who, you know, seemed like a rising star pitcher for the Longhorns a couple of years ago, but, but fell off. I, I mean, I can remember that TCU series two years ago where he came in, he blew the save and then Pierce brought him back in the following day and he struggled again and he never really was the same after that. And he has opted to, he graduated from Texas this spring. He's opted to get into the portal transfer portal. He'll, he'll have, um, you know, a chance to be a, a grad transfer, go to graduate school somewhere else and would have two years of eligibility remaining. Um, if, you know, considering the NCAA um, reprieve on, you know, for the seniors or the, this year of eligibility uh, that was cut short by the pandemic. So some news there and, you know, David Pierce has some good young arms. So you expected Bryce Elder to sign and, you know, now you got to have guys like Ty Madden and, and Colby Kulbacek and, and our guy, Pete Hansen, the lefty freshman from California, from your neck of the woods. And you got to have these guys step up and, and, and David Pierce has done a good job of recruiting. So uh, he should be able to, to fill some of these holes. Yeah. The whole 20,000 to me was surprising that, I mean, obviously this is a different situation. Normally the MLB draft has what I believe 40 rounds. So this was cut down by what an eighth of what it normally is. So that, that makes a little sense, but the fact that uh, Duke Ellis would have had an additional year of eligibility left. I mean, when you, when you are a senior in it comes to the MLB draft more times than not, they're going to lowball you. Um, that's why you see a lot of the juniors that get picked. Sometimes even if they get picked after seniors, they'll sign sometimes for more than what seniors will sign for because they don't have to buy them out of, you know, leaving their education and um, leaving early for the MLB draft. So that's one thing, but you know, he would have had another year left and would have been a redshirt senior had he decided to take up the NCAA, um, you know, granting the extra year of eligibility for players, spring student athletes um, in 2020. So that was kind of surprising to me. Maybe, you know, I, I don't know the full story behind it, but just seemed weird taking 20 grand when you had another year of eligibility possibly at your disposal. I mean, you probably wouldn't get paid less than that if you had a good follow-up year, in my opinion. Right. And that's, you know, David Pierce, he's recruited well and he's got, he's got some fast outfielders. Um, and so it, it gets to a point where do you hold up the growth of your young players and, or do you say, Hey, thanks. And and let um, let the senior move on because, look, this is the NCAA gave schools the option, right, of allowing seniors to come back. And in softball, we're seeing Miranda Ellis, who's all world, uh, coming back for her senior year again uh, because she's on a team that that could win the national championship and might have won the national championship this year. Yeah, and and their seniors there are seniors on that softball team that that coach Mike White wants 
definitely wants back. And then there are those who it's okay if they move on. I mean, it's a tricky situation and it's the coaches and the athletic directors call. They have to get together and decide because it's an added expense for, for the schools to absorb that scholarship for another year. And, and so you hope it works out for everybody, but right. um, yeah, I mean, Duke Ellis, he's, he was the, he's one of the best hitters on the team um, and speed guy, you know, a guy who a lead off guy, those they're hard to find. You, you want to get a guy who can get on base and put pressure on the pitcher and, and Duke Ellis did that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you hope it works out for him. You hope he gets to live the dream of, playing for the same team or being in the same organization as his dad. And, and, uh, and as we said, David Pierce is recruiting well. So this is a, this is a tough situation for, for the, the coach, the athletic director, and, uh, and we'll see how it turns out. And speaking of moving on Taylor, I just need to mention this because the defending national champion men's tennis team, which is, um, you know, people forget that that tennis team won, won it all last year uh, in somewhat improbable fashion, but they had seniors, they had a chance to win it again this year. And that's what's so sad that the pandemic hit because they had two of the best players in the country in Yuya Ito and Christian Sigsgard, And both of those two were hugely instrumental in Texas winning the national championship last year. Yuya Ito clinched um, the deciding match over Florida in the semifinals and, and then both Ito and six guard won critical matches in the national championship match against wake forest. And they have decided not to come back, uh, for that, that honored, uh, senior season. They're both going to turn pro, uh, with their, uh, degrees from the university of Texas. So good for them and just unfortunate timing for, uh, for the Texas men's tennis program, because they had a legit shot to repeat as, as national champs. And, and so um, it's, uh, it's tough to say goodbye to two all Americans who uh, had the experience of winning uh, at the highest level. Cause you just don't get that. You don't get that kind of talent. You don't get that kind of team. Um, you get it every once in a blue moon. So Right. Uh, I don't, do we have blue moons? I've never, I've always wondered why <laughs> we say beer, blue moon. Blue moon. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's a, that's a notable and, um, and I guess with that, we should, we should talk to our man Fitzy, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can always come to the flagship to catch a country club, country club Brown, making sure to, you know, follow the tennis. Thanks Taylor. Program. Appreciate it. <laughs> Taylor's dad scored the game-winning run in the 1969 Miracle Mets World Championship. I'm a tennis player. <laughs> so there we go. There you go. There you go. Different upbringings there. But yeah. <laughs> well, just a heads up, we're going to take a very, very short, very quick ad break. And you'll want to stick around after when we bring in one of our favorite colleagues on the 24-7 Sports Network, the publisher of GoPowerCat.com covering Kansas State, Tim Fitzgerald. So we'll be right back with Fitz. Join now here on the Horns 24-7 flagship podcast by GoPowerCat.com publisher, the one and only Tim Fitzgerald. We call him 
Fitz, Life of Fitz on Twitter, a must follow. And uh, Fitz, we're, we're talking under uh, some, I mean, this whole 2020 is, is bizarre circumstances, but here we are trying to get toward a college football season. Players are coming back to campus for voluntary workouts and players are being tested and then introduced into the voluntary workouts. And when Kansas State initially tested 90 players, I'll let you correct me if I'm wrong. Initially, they had no positive tests, right? No positives. And apparently someone came in late um, after those initial tests. They were at least one, maybe two were COVID positive. And they had interactions with their teammates away from facilities. We were told they interacted while working out. Our initial confusion was, you tell me they're working out. It sounds like they're in the locker room, you know, weight room. But they were off campus somewhere working out together. Then they were tested and it was discovered they were positive. In fact, they've got two that um, are showing symptoms. So that's really bad. And uh, in a matter of days, it went from zero to 14. And it only emphasizes how infectious this is. But 12 of those sound like, as of now, at least what we're aware of, are asymptomatic, which is pretty common for this younger generation now that they're getting it. And we're, maybe they had it all along. We just weren't testing this group, this segment of our demographic. So um, they decided to shut it down for two weeks in terms of official workouts because they started, nope, they started last Monday with workouts and um, then uh, then it just all hell broke loose. It really did. Now the real problem here was, you know, when you were 20 years old and you got back to campus, you wanted to hang out with your friends. You wanted to go to the bar, you wanted to go to a party and they did. And it has spread not just through the football team, but through the younger community. It got into a couple of the, the more popular bar restaurants in town and they've been shut down now voluntarily. It's really caused a spike in Manhattan, Kansas. And so it wasn't just a concern among the football program. It was a concern community-wide. And I have to credit Gene Taylor and the athletic department. They've been very proactive. They've, they've been on top of this. Boy, Chip, I don't know how we're going to get to football at this pace. I just don't see how we're going to get there. Right. And I and that's that's a big reason that, that uh, we wanted to talk to you this week on the flagship podcast because – Everything is trial and error. Everything is let's let's uh, lay out some plans and then hope that everyone can follow the plans. And and what we're seeing in the spike in coronavirus numbers across the country is a younger demographic of people are the ones that are are not wearing the mask. They're not social distancing. They want to get out and mingle and. And that's going to be a real problem on college campuses, especially among the student athletes. Um, I don't want to talk about a big man on campus syndrome, but look, they're college students. They want to be out. And, and so the greater picture fits in your opinion is how are all these football teams across the country going to uh, be able to uh, keep their student athletes on the on the coronavirus straight and narrow mm-hmm. for an entire football season and we're not even the players are not even around their coaches yet and and those are the ones who are really 
sort of vulnerable because we have older coaches. Nick Saban is what? 70. I mean, 23, 123 years old, right? 123 is Benjamin <laughs> button, but it's, uh, I mean, we don't even have the players around the coaches know, yet. Um, and, and so, you know, what, you know, elaborate on what your, your feeling is there. Well, I tell you what, I mean, there's a big segment of the population who is, you know, bought into this herd immunity thought that let's just get them all infected, get it over with. The problem with that is it's almost impossible for it to escape, not to escape that bubble. And when you're talking about a football bubble, if you could just include all the people that are connected to a football program and have them inside that bubble, now we're saying kids aren't going to class, they're not going to a bar, they're not doing anything other than football. You would still have so many support personnel inside that bubble, whether it be older coaches, older support personnel, maybe someone that's immunity challenged, you know, maybe some trainers and manager that have underlying health issues like asthma, you're going to put in peril other people. And I don't know how you really get to a massive herd of people not having or being infected and getting the antibodies for it without killing some people. And once someone inside that football bubble dies, it really changes the equation of everyone's thinking. You know, whether it's a secretary, a coach, or trainer, manager that's younger, it doesn't matter who it is. If they're infected because of college football and end up on a respirator and die, all of us have to stop and wonder, is this really worth it? As much as we love football, as much as we rely on football for our living, it literally can become life and death. And maybe not for the players that are young and strong and sturdy and the ones that typically defeat this, but the people around them that can't defeat it so easily. You know, and just from the the whole infection standpoint, I've said this over and I've got a column up at Go Powercat about this, a little buried right now, but let's say your running backs are having a film session and one guy turns out he's positive and didn't know it. Now, do you play the next game without any running backs? Because they all had to go into contact tracing quarantine. I, I don't understand how this works where you get to a game and, and maybe a large segment of your roster is quarantined because they've been exposed to someone who had this. And you've got to do those quarantines to stop the, the mitigate the spread of it, as they, they like to say. So I'm, I'm not sure how this ends with football on Saturdays. That's all I'm saying. I've I've grown really pessimistic and I don't want to be that guy. Um, but now that we're seeing this unveil itself and how quickly it's spreading through, you know, Austin and at Clemson and Manhattan, Kansas, it's ripping through these people. And while they're not affected, they are sending it off to other people that might be in much greater peril, whether they're connected to the football team or just a guy that owns a bar in Manhattan, Kansas might be uh, in in serious jeopardy because a, a student athlete came in and joined. It's it's crazy. This stuff is absolutely crazy. Um, talking to Tim Fitzgerald, publisher of GoPowerCat.com, the K-State site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And um, Fitzy, let's go through the, the timeline for K-State. I mean, again, they initially tested 90 players, no positive tests. Then they brought in um, a, an additional uh, smaller group of players. There were two positive tests, and and then all of a sudden, and they were asymptomatic, 
but it turns out they were at a couple of parties. They were at the bar that you talked about and they were around their teammates and then it jumps to eight. And then there's a warning that if it, if there are more positive tests, they, they might have to shut down workouts for 14 days to, to quarantine the entire team um, and really determine, you know, where the virus is on the team and then retest on July 5th. And that's where we are right, right. now. There was some talk about, um, look, if you don't follow the rules, if you don't follow the coronavirus guidelines, if you're in a small percentage that's ruining it for everyone else, there's the possibility you'd have your scholarship rescinded. Now, I think um, athletic director um, Gene Taylor has said that's not being considered at this point. But I mean, how, you know, based on what you've seen, what you've uh, experienced there in Manhattan, Kansas, is, is that enough of an alarm bell to get the attention of, of student athletes? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I've, I've been told they think they've turned the corner with this and that they're beginning to get it that if they don't take this seriously, they've now, you know, been part of a frightening spread of, of the virus, how quickly it can pass from one individual to another. And, you know, they could hand it off to their parents when they come into town or something. Um, you know, the, I, I think they are a little more locked in, but there's always going to be that guy gal or whomever that doesn't quite take the rules as seriously you know and and that can manifest itself in many behaviors but if you have someone who absolutely won't play by the rules you have to have that next level of enforcement and just remove them from your population or your locker room in this case and uh, I don't foresee that happening but it's going to happen I, I know this I think um, every team needs to be testing Monday and Friday. They need to test Friday before a game. I, I would prefer if they had immediate turnaround on testing, which I know there's been talk of that being out there, that that would be part of the pregame ritual. That in the locker room before each game, every player would be tested. And, you know, 15 minutes later, we know the results. If that's possible. If not, Friday, whatever it takes. And then Monday after the game. What if you play an SEC team and Kansas State does play Vanderbilt that's refusing to test and they have a positive case on the field during the game? Well, contact tracing might indicate that all of both teams should be quarantined for 10 to 14 days. We're talking forfeits at that point. I, this is very concerning. And in this generation, a lot of people need to take this a little bit more seriously, throw on that mask and, uh, Try to cut it down. I know some of you don't believe in the mask, but I keep coming back to this. If I'm wrong, I've inconvenienced you by making you wear a mask. Um, if you're wrong, you've inconvenienced me by possibly killing me because I have cancer. So I, I think that we can compromise to wear a damn mask. I hope we can, you know, and I hate to infringe on people's rights in such a dramatic way. Well, and I think it's important that, because um, Fitz, you've been very open about your, um, your battle with cancer and um, and for guys to go get checked out, get to the doctor, uh, get get a physical um, PSA check. Yep, PSA check, and um, you know I'll let you tell it because you've been an incredible, um, brave uh, example for all of us. 
I was covering the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago. Um, well, oh, the last tournament. That's weird to think about. Um, and uh, maybe it was two tournaments ago. And I was in Atlanta covering Kansas State. Yeah, it was two tournaments ago. And uh, I got a call from an insurance agent who said I was being turned down for a life policy because my PSA was too high. I need to get to a doctor. And on that day in March of 2018, I didn't know what a PSA score was. So I looked it up and realized I might have problems with my prostate. Lo and behold, I have a very, very aggressive form of prostate cancer. It went stage four, which means it escaped my prostate within a matter of months, which is kind of a little nutty for what typical, what's typical prostate cancer. But as you're younger and you get it, I'm now 56, um, it, it can be more aggressive. So I'm stage four, they took my prostate, it's been in my bladder, I've done radiation, I'm on hormone therapies, which I'm coming off of, and we'll see if the cancer shows its head again, because, you know, I'm no T, they shut off my testosterone. Um, and that's how they treat it in the short run, uh, but that ravages you, gives you a lot of issues. And so now that I'm coming off of that, my T will ramp back up, and if it's there, it'll roar back to life. The moral of the story is if you're 50, Certainly 45 and over. If you're in if you're in your 50s for sure, go get your PSA checked. It's a little blood test. It's nothing. And for some just bizarre reason, some doctors aren't doing it. Because once in a while you get a false positive. I'd much rather have a false positive than not know I'm a positive positive. And and I, it doesn't make sense to me. It's the best indicator to uh, prostate cancer chances and and uh, if you get on prostate cancer quickly, you can beat it. If, if you're later to the party like I was, uh, you're in big trouble. But thank God for that life insurance app, Chip, because without that, I would not have known I had prostate cancer. And if I had gone another month without getting to my doctor, I probably wouldn't be here right now or I'd be in really bad shape. Well, Fitz, God bless you. And um, we're all cheering for you and praying for you and sending you strength and, and, uh, and positivity because you've, you've been uh, courageous and you're, you're up for the fight. And, um, and this, this whole coronavirus COVID-19 situation really hits home for you. I mean, um, it's not, you know, we're not just talking to you. Uh, because K-State has elevated numbers, you can put this in perspective as, a, as an immune-compromised person um, witnessing all of this. And, and in your discussions with, with Gene Taylor, the athletic director at K-State, um, I mean, look, all the athletic directors are trying to put on a good face. They're trying to remain positive. Chris Del Conte has said, we're, we're going to have a football season. Um, what, what's your gut tell you after talking to Kansas State Athletic Director Gene Taylor about the situation there? I, I agree. They're going to do everything they possibly can to have a football season. But I come back to this. Kansas State has been very focused on explaining that these um, exposures to the coronavirus have happened away from facilities on their own time. That seems to be very important to schools where it took place. Not that it took place, but where it took place. And that tells me there is such a great fear of litigation when the attorneys are in there 
ears saying, got to make this clear, got to make this clear. We are not responsible. We're not responsible. And if, if that underlying responsibility is that heavy, how the hell do you ever get them in a locker room? How do you make them practice? And how do you get them to game if you're constantly in fear of one case, one exposure will expose you to lawsuits? I don't see how we get to football in this environment. I just don't. And I wish I wasn't that guy because the end, I, I pump football. It's kind of my lifeblood. Um, I don't know what I'll do without it in the fall. So, um, but you're right. I'm a perfect example. Uh, you see me in public and uh, you and Taylor know what I look like. And you probably think, hey, that's a really good looking guy. But in truth, I have stage four cancer. My point is, is that you don't know those people around you. You don't know who has their own underlying issues and or you don't know that that 25-year-old person to your left that's wearing a mask and you're not is actually a caregiver and actually works in a nursing home and will be around people. You want to kill someone really quickly, give a caregiver coronavirus and they don't know it and they go to work and they spread it through a nursing home. That's what's happened in some of our states. A lot of the deaths are that. And if you're fine with wiping out people's grandparents, that's cool, but I would prefer that people get to have their grandparents as long as possible. So you can't just look at someone and say, I know their story. You don't know their story. And that goes for a lot of other things in health. Yeah, the governor of Texas um, today held a press conference and, and said the doubling of coronavirus uh, cases in the state over the past month is unacceptable, um, but is not ready to ramp down um, the opening up of the state at this point. Although um, he said, if this surge continues, action a month from now will be uh, required. So um, yeah. it's by no means has coronavirus gone away we we may have flattened the curve but when it comes to college football we're seeing that it can it can go through a locker room and it can go through a locker room quickly um the herd immunity uh that you mentioned earlier there's a a sense or a hope maybe that once you've had coronavirus you're not going to get it again anytime soon maybe you know, we don't know. I mean, the, the science isn't proven yet. And, and so, like you said, there are some, you know, LSU fans saying, well, man, a third of our team has the, the coronavirus, the herd immunity. Uh, I'm hoping that the starters all have coronavirus so that they're, they're good for the season. They will have recovered and, and have antibodies from it. I mean, you've got all these different opinions and hopes because like you said, there, there's so much um, riding on this college football season happening from a college athletics standpoint. I mean, one, one college football season missed could change the course of college athletics forever. Good. Think of all the, the people that will lose jobs and the sports that will cease to exist without the revenue football brings to college athletic departments. I mean, it's the truth. And that's why everyone's trying to make this happen. They need the money. Uh, they need this to happen. Nobody wants football canceled. Nobody wants that. Um, and I hope the, the herd crowd is 100% correct. But if this virus is like other viruses, 
it's going to go mutate like seasonal flu. Just because you had the flu last year doesn't make you immune the next year. It'll mutate and be a little bit different and come back at you. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But um, yeah, I mean, I hope, I hope secretly these guys are saying, let's all get it together and never leave our apartments for 10 days and see what happens. But I, you know, that's not what's happening. Um, and, and we'll just see how this all takes place. I, I'm, I'm hoping no one is permanently uh, injured from this. And what I mean by that is a lot of people recover and are never the same. And that, that has included some healthy people. It has not killed them, but they've had damage to their lungs or their, um, it seems to do something to your blood. There's so much unknown about this thing that it's terrifying. And uh, yeah, I, I hope we get to football. That's all I, I, I don't see how it's going to happen. I've never wanted to be more wrong in my life, but I don't see it happening. Um, talking to Tim Fitzgerald, publisher of GoPowerCat.com, the K-State site on the uh, 24-7 Sports Network. And Fitz, there's a lot going on. Um, I've never seen the empowerment of student-athletes like we're seeing it mm-hmm. right now um, on the you know, social justice spectrum at Texas um, the black student athletes are part of 149 student organizations that want change on campus uh, to make it more inclusive at Oklahoma State. We saw Chuba Hubbard stand up to his head coach um, in a couple of awkward videos that, you know, I don't know what is really going on there. But give us your thoughts and, and what, what have you seen at K-State or your observations around the big 12 and elsewhere in terms of the empowerment of, of student athletes right now. You know, it's, this has been really enlightening. I would have never thought there was a historical racial background to the eyes of Texas. Never. I mean, never. I, but there is, and that's probably interwoven through a lot of athletic departments through what were Confederate States, probably just not aware of it. The meaning has been lost to time, but people do dig it up and and recognize what it really is about. Sometimes I think people go searching for things, and other times I think, boy, this is not good. Uh, we we uh, need to get away from it. Fortunately, Kansas State really hasn't had any of that. I mean, the worst it's gotten is that Ema is every man a wildcat, and some people have find, found offense in that. Um, again, we go looking for things at times, but we need to root all this out. People need to be comfortable. We're never going to eradicate racism, Chip. There's always going to be idiots. There's one thing I know about the human condition. We will never be done with idiots. doesn't matter what color, race, religion, ethnicity, you know, country, you're going to have your share of idiots. And the human condition is one that we seek our divisions. Some places in the world fight over religion, some fight over race, and some fight over tribe. Uh, we like to find what divides us and battle over it. And I hope this great experiment in the United States can get us past that. I hope we can, this moment, with what, what's happened here, we can move forward in race relations, take another giant leap forward that we saw, you know, in the early stages of my life in the mid to later 60s when all those things came out of congress and all the awareness happened we took a jump forward 
we've kind of been inching forward a little bit at a time. Let's take another jump forward. That's this NASCAR incident. Um, the more of these things that happen, the more awareness how awful this is. People shouldn't be living this way. I, my wife and I just watched Just Mercy last night. I encourage everyone to watch it. it. I think it's free on all services. We watch it on Amazon for free. And Agreed. to know in my lifetime that this this took place in the late 80s, early 90s, the core of the story. To know that in my lifetime, my post-college lifetime, it was that bad in the South is, uh, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm uh I've been awoken to a lot of things and 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 still with that we've had people kind of steal the cause you know for their own personal reasons they want to go break stuff and and it waters down everything don't be distracted by that there are noble causes here and don't let the people st stealing that cause make you think they are that cause that's not what's going on here no it's a great point um fitzy what else uh i mean you know i i'd love to just talk ball with you mm -hmm. um we don't I have mean, much to talk about if you okay let's let's pretend or let's hope that we I've do get a, a college football season okay um based on what you know you've you probably sized up who's got returning starters and oklahoma's gonna play a high school recruited quarterback it looks like for the first time uh in lincoln riley's tenure tom herman has 16 starters back and a veteran quarterback but now seven new assistant coaches including both coordinators baylor has a new head coach and new coordinators and two starters back on defense what what uh your way too early prediction for the big 12 championship game I'd probably go Oklahoma, Oklahoma State with that. You know, I'm I'm amazed. K State won eight games last year. They went five and four in the conference. And yeah, they had some graduation losses, but if you were really paying attention, one of the weaker segments of this team last year was the offensive line. Amazingly enough, they it was very experienced and some of the experts gave them good ranking ratings, but they really didn't fit what they want to do offensively. And they're rebuilding that maybe in the an image that better fits what they want to do on the offensive side of the ball with athletes along that line. To return a quarterback, they've got great skill position guys. They're going to be breaking in some new running backs. I understand why people aren't bullish on Kansas State, but when you're talking about a coaching staff that took over a program from a legend that won five games with essentially the same roster the year before and won eight games, Maybe you should be bullish on the program because of the coach. And I, I think K-State's going to be good. Uh, they've got, a, you know, three home games in the non-conference, including Vanderbilt. Uh, they should get off to a running start, and then we'll see what happens in the conference. But I think they have some of that Snyder magic. They know exactly what it takes to win with less. And you've got to do that in Manhattan. You just have to. You, you're going you're gonna to always have less depth, maybe less upper-tier guys, but you put your guys in the position to win but i think the conference is going to be really enjoyable this year if we get to it yeah if we get yeah to it. Chip, uh, i do have uh, some breaking news out of this region though that will interest your listeners so one of the problems kansas state has had about the big 12 for a long time is this is a serious issue this is really a serious serious issue for guys like me that are uh, well fat um we we don't have whataburger north of stillwater 
Patrick Mahomes, after the Super Bowl, had a tweet. So he's delivered a Super Bowl to Kansas City, had a tweet saying he, is, he wanted Whataburger in Kansas City. And lo and behold, Whataburger is in the process of building their first store on the Missouri side of Kansas City. We will have Whataburger in Kansas City in my lifetime. And that's life-changing. If Patrick Mahomes cures my cancer, I will build a statue to him with my own hands in my front yard. I love because it. Because he's, he's giving me a Super Bowl as a Chiefs fan. Whataburger's coming to Kansas City. Cure that cancer, Patrick. And I, I love you, man. I don't care oh. if you went to Texas Tech and ran that goofy offense. You're the best guy ever. Hey, the pride of White House, Texas, Patrick Mahomes, um, and the pride of Manhattan, Kansas, Tim Fitzgerald. Fitzy, enjoy that Whataburger. Mm. I highly recommend the, the Dr. Pepper Shake. It's one of my favorites. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, you're going to See, I don't it. get to go very often. So when I go, I pretty much either have to get the, the triple with triple cheese because, you know, that's healthy, uh, or, or the uh, uh, patty melt. I have to do one of the two. And so you know, when I'm in Texas, which I don't get down there very often in Oklahoma because I stopped going on the road, one day I get one and one day I get the other. And that pretty much completes me. But it's been a couple of years now since I've been south of the border because of this cancer thing really is inconvenient. I encourage people not to get it. Well, let's let's get rid of it. Let's uh, Mm -hmm. let's send uh, Fitzy all of our prayers and all the strength. And uh, and Fitzy, you're the best. And we look forward to the next conversation, my friend. Anytime. Let's let's hope we have football because I need to talk about football a lot. I'm, I'm I'm with you. I'm kind of a savant. I, I can only talk about so many things, and football's one of them. <laughs> Fitzy, you're the best, and the, uh, the flagship podcast rolls on. Always great to hear from our guy, Tim Fitzgerald, and you know we got to always keep him in our thoughts and prayers as he is battling um, prostate cancer right now. And yeah. you know, just hearing his journey, he's, he's one of the funniest people you will meet. He's just a big teddy bear. Um, he always would make jokes with me anytime I'd go cover a game at Kansas State that I was his daughter. You know, he's just kind of one of those salt of the earth type of people. So we always got to keep him in our thoughts and prayers. And, you know, one thing, Chip, that I thought that was very significant that he said is about wearing the mask. You know, and I know this doesn't have to do necessarily with football right now, but it really puts it into perspective how severe this situation can be for people who do have a compromised immune system like, you know, Fitz, who's has stage four prostate cancer. I mean, hearing him say, you know, yes, it could, wearing a mask is an inconvenience. And I totally understand that it's an inconvenience for you. However, it could be a death sentence for me if you don't wear a mask. And that really hit home, you know, when, when you, when he said that to me, like it just kind of, took me back. And I knew that, you know, I've always known that that could be the case. I have, you know, my sister-in-law has has terrible asthma, has to do multiple breathing treatments every single week. And so she's been stuck inside for, you know, the last several months during this pandemic. But, you know, just hearing somebody who is in that scenario talk openly about how this could kill them is just makes it, you know, football or not, let's just be smart. You know, if you're out in public, wear a mask. It's not, it's not worth it to not do so. Right. And this is going to be with us for a while. And, and so, you know, wash your mask, replace the filters in your mask, 
and take it seriously because yeah. it it um we've seen bad situations and we don't need to see any more and we we need to get used to it we need to get used to the mask um every time we go out in public really i mean i know it that we were talking about that with the 18 19 20 21 year old kids they're they're trying to look good for the for the mingle and yeah. and so they don't sure. want to wear a mask i get it <laughs> you're not gonna go tubing on the guadalupe and a mask but it's you know there's just this sense that the younger folks are they think they're immune to it or that if they get it it's no big deal i'll be over it in a few days and if the wrong person sneezes on someone like fitz yeah who doesn't look sick he doesn't, who doesn't look, look sick, like he's it, sick right it could be a matter of life and death and so it it is uh sobering to have that conversation with fitz and hopefully everyone just uh realizes it's the right thing to do right it's the right thing to do right now absolutely well Chip. so yeah i mean and it's that's a that's a tough conversation i mean you have a conversation like that you walk away saying wow this is going to be a tightrope walk for for college athletic directors coaches players to keep this keep the team um you know on the up and up and the crazy thing is taylor you've got fans hoping their star players get covid-19 right now yeah so that they can recover and then hope that the medicine the science that is saying you know you have antibodies and you are probably immune to getting covid-19 again you know the herd immunity mm -hmm. um uh, that we're hearing about there are fans who are like man just get our starters exposed to it right now and let them recover so that everything's fine during the regular season and that would be one thing if there weren't unknowns about the long-lasting effects of right. COVID-19 on people's lungs yeah no absolutely I mean I kind of yeah I mean I made a joke in our horns 24 7 staff text last week when it was announced how many positive cases were on Clemson's football team and obviously I was totally joking about this but I kind of said like conspiracy theory Davo is intentionally infecting starters on both sides of the ball now <laughs> but like that's how some fans are actually thinking like let's just get it over with you know let's just hope that there's no long-term effects that's a it's a it's a risky hope I think um but I mean, like my husband's, for instance, he went and got the antibodies test because he was really, really sick in December. But his like all the flu symptoms you wouldn't normally have, but his flu test came back negative. And so it was kind of like, oh, weird. He was still treated for, you know, given Tamiflu and all of that. And uh, so he went and got the antibodies test and he came back and it was negative. And he was like, is it bad that I kind of was hoping it was positive? <laughs> so that way I know, I mean, you, if it's positive, you do have to get a COVID-19 test after the fact. However, you know, when he said that, I was kind of like, no, that actually makes sense. Like it wouldn't be as big of a concern for you. And, you know, you could go into, you know, projects and job sites and stuff and not be too concerned about possibly passing something along to somebody else. But it's, it's crazy. I mean, I can't believe that it's 
what mid or late June that started in mid March and we are still talking about it. <laughs> and we are still going to be talking about it. Yes. So we'll uh we'll move on though. Yes, we'll let's talk on. about something else here. <laughs> it's so. time for what everyone, you know, everyone's favorite segment of the show, love it or leave it, Taylor. Yeah, well, Chip, before I got to recognize some people who went over to the um, Horns 24-7 podcast channel over on iTunes and left us some five-star ratings and reviews. Um, So I'm going to read some of these. Thank you guys so much for for taking the time to do this. But this uh, first one is from NASA9. It says, I'm a Longhorn living in Colorado, and this podcast has been my savior for all things Texas football, especially in these crazy times. This really gives me that perfect taste of home. Also loving, all caps, all of the quality interviews with coaches, recruits, and alumni. Hook them. So thank you, NASA9, for that. Thanks, NASA9. Tell your Uh, friends and enemies. Yes. So this one here, uh, the title of it is Supreme from uh, Greg MTZ. All my favorite people in one location. So that's for our family of, of podcasts, the flagship, along with State of Recruiting with Mike Roach and Nick Harris and Longhorn Blitz with Jeff Howe and Rod Baber. So definitely check that out. And then this final one, Chip. I mean, <laughs> I read this late last week, and I thought, oh, I got to, I got to surprise Chip with this one. The title of it is "Keep Up the Good Work" by Jack K. Ten. 118. As an Aggie fan, I enjoy keeping up on what's going on at Texas. Really enjoy the segments with Taylor and Chip. We have Aggie fans, Chip. Can you believe that? The Aggies love me. (laughs) I think I have my own page on on Tex Ags. Oh, I think we all do. (laughs) If if you cover Texas, yeah, there's at least a multi, at least one multi-page thread on. Texags probably about we have, we have a lot of Sooners listening and watching too and yeah. TCU. So we welcome all all comers to the Absolutely. flagship podcast. Absolutely. Look, if you're if you're a college football junkie like we are, mm-hmm. then you just want to be around the conversation. Right. Yeah. And so we're here for you. Exactly. Yeah. We some people may think we're biased because we cover Texas, but we cover it all. So the good, the bad, the ugly. Yes. All right, Chip. Well, with that, let's uh, do our love it or leave it segment. You ready? I'm ready. You ready? Yes, sir. All right. So my first statement to pose to you is Texas will have both a 1,000-yard rusher and 1,000-yard receiver. Love it or leave it? Okay. So this is uh, this is interesting because Mike Yersich, who I'm a big I'm on board. I'm on board with Yersich. Uh, his, his offenses have been prolific, but he also does a good job of spreading the ball around. And he's had three running backs in the past, all of whom have gotten sizable carries. He's had, um, you know, multiple receivers come up with big yardage. And I think this year, maybe more than most, You've got, you know, Keontae Ingram, Roshan Johnson, and Bijan Robinson at the running back position. And you did, you had Jordan Whittington there. You moved him over to, they're going to start him in the slot with Jake Smith. And if they're both highly productive, I've said they'll, 
you know, Yurcich will probably find another spot for them. Either move one of them outside, probably Jordan Winnington. He's the bigger guy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Yurcich is going to have some talented guys. Now we got to see what's going on with Brennan Eagles um, and that he's going to play either the X or the Z, the outside receivers. And we know in the past that Tom in Tom Herman's offense, the slot receiver has been the money guy. He's the 90 catch guy. And so is that going to continue in Mike Yersich's version of Tom Herman's power spread? Because one thing I've heard is that Yersich is going to use different route combinations to get guys open that could feature more of the outside receivers. But I'm going to leave this, Taylor. That was my long-winded way of saying I'm going to leave this because I think you could have one or the other. You could have a 1,000-yard rusher or a 1,000-yard receiver. But I think you're going to have the, the, the carries and the reception split up among enough guys that it's not going to be both. Yeah, I could see that. I think I'm going to agree with you, and I'm going to leave this too. Um, I kind of feel like it might be similar to how Texas had in 2018 with uh, Trey Watson and Keontae Ingram. You know, I think Trey Watson had, what was it, like 750 yards, and Keontae Ingram had, I think, five-something or six. I can't remember off the top of my head. But between the two of them, it was they surpassed the 1,000-yard mark. Um, I do think that Texas will have at, the, at least a 1,000-yard receiver. There's no – in my opinion, even though Mike Yersich is coming in and, you know, this is his offense of Tom Herman's offense, you know, his version of it, Tom Herman's obviously going to have a say in for the last two straight seasons um, since he's, you know, two of the three seasons that he's been at Texas, they've had at least 1,000, you know, a receiver with 1,000 yards. Will Jordan Humphrey in 2018, Devin DuVernay in 2019, and they almost had two in 2018. Colin Johnson just came up just shy, I believe, with 976 yards uh, receiving, I believe it was. So I'm going to leave it too, but I do think that there will be um, another thousand yard receiver. And if they don't have that, I might be, <laughs> we might be talking about something else mid season here about what the future is going to look like here. Cause there's just no reason when you have the talent and everything that is on this roster. All right, let's go to number two, love it or leave it we will get through at least 50% of the college football season in 2020. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to love this. Um, And it might be wishful thinking that, that um, teams can keep their players uh, from either getting COVID-19 or spreading it to each other. um, And coaches can somehow remain safe through all this too. I I've said, it feels like a a high wire walk among skyscrapers, Mm -hmm. but I just have to think that um, as, as the season approaches because of all the stuff we're going through right now, hopefully the message will get through that. Look, this is, we're not guaranteed a college football season this fall. It's going to depend on everyone being completely disciplined and responsible and accountable 
to their teammates and their coaches to make this college football season happen. I'm going to say that because of all this experience we're going through right now that we talked to with Tim Fitzgerald about that the players and the coaches and everybody will be accountable to each other and we'll get at least half of a 12 game season. So we'll get at least six games, which Taylor in Texas's case would include both LSU and Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, those are the two games I really want to see now. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we get them all. Hopefully we get them all, but I'm going to love um, that we get at least six of the 12 regular season games. I'm going to love it too. I agree with that. Um, you know, I think that there's still probably what a little less than a month before the hard decisions really have to be made. Um, I think, I think that the, the economic fallout, honestly, of not having a college football season, not only impacts the universities, but also, you know, cities. And I know Mike Gundy got a lot of flack for saying that when he was talking about that for, you know, Stillwater, the amount of money, but it's not false. You know what I mean? And obviously money is not risk putting people's lives in jeopardy or anything like that. But still, I mean, just like the city of Austin itself, how much money does it bring in on travel and on hotel accommodations and on every, you know, uh, basically the whole like hospitality industry, they, they see a substantial gain for university of Texas home football games because it's the place to be on Saturdays. There's no pro sports that is competing with nothing. So, you know, I do think that college administrators and, you know, probably state officials also, especially for public universities, are probably going to do everything they possibly can to ensure that, you know, number one, the players are safe, but number two, that they are going to get some type of financial um, reward in a sense for having a college football season. Because some athletic departments can't, I don't think they can sustain. I mean, look at how many, I mean, Iowa State, they had to take, you know, substantial pay cuts. The football coaching staff did during the situation that, you know, some of these smaller schools, even the power five schools, they can't really afford to not have a college football season. And whether, you know, you disagree with that or not, it's just the reality of the situation. Football really dominates a lot of these university athletic department budgets. So I think that there's, they're going to find every way possible to at least have some football games. So I'm going to definitely love that. Say there's going to be at least six yeah, if we don't have a college football season, it will alter college athletics forever. Yeah, it will. And this is not a business industry that can put a bunch of money aside. These are nonprofit, nonprofit, tax exempt organizations. They're they're not for profit. You can't just sock money away in a I mean, look the top athletic programs, the top revenue producing athletic programs do have reserve funds and they have ways to put reserve funds into the school's general fund and, and keep money uh, for a rainy day fund, but not enough to run all the sports for an entire year that comes from football. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's a hundred million dollars. And there's no school with a hundred million dollars in reserves right now. So it's, 
it, it is, it's a scary time right now. No, for sure. I mean, a lot of these ADs are kind of in a, you know, substantial lose-lose situation, you know, because there's so much risk. But at some point when you are talking about the possibility of having to dismantle an athletic department because there was no football revenue, that's a, a, that's a huge risk in itself. I mean, how many sports will be no longer available? How many people will lose scholarships because there's, you know, some of the, you know, even if it's some of the more Olympic sports or anything like that, if those have to be canceled because the athletic department literally cannot fund those, those teams being able to actually have seasons. So it's, I mean, I've never um, envied the job for athletic directors. I think that it's a very difficult job and I for sure do not envy their job right now. Cause this is a tough one to deal with. I think. Yeah. Cause it's a moving target. Mm-hmm. Every day brings a new set of plans. You tear them up. I always say right now, ADs are drawing up plans on Etch-a-Sketches and <laughs> shaking them and starting over the next day. So yeah, for sure. It's uh, we need college football, not just for our own satisfaction. We need college football for college athletics to survive. And that's where this gets really tricky because you're balancing, you know, we're sitting here talking about the health of, of coaches. Mm-hmm. It, what if you're, Herb Hand or one of the older coaches out there, or Nick Saban. I mean, do you, are you putting your life at risk yeah. by being around all these young uh, student athletes who may or may not be taking the precautions necessary because they feel like they're bulletproof to this pandemic? That's a real question. And that's, that's one that I have a feeling will become more of a question as we get closer to July 15th. Yeah. All right, Chip. Well, the third and final one here I have for you, love it or leave it. Texas will have more than four players on the preseason all big 12 team. Wow. Um, Okay. So I'm going to count who I would probably put on my ballot on the first team, all big 12 right here out loud. Um, I'm going to put Sam Ellinger on the first team um, because he's the veteran guy this year. Yeah. I'm going to put Sam Cosme from the offensive line on the first team. I'm going to put Keandre Coburn on that team. I'm going to put Joseph Osai on that team. And then I bet Caden Stearns gets a vote or 20 uh, to be on that team. So I will love this, Taylor. I will say Texas will have more than four players on the preseason first team, all Big 12. Okay. I'm going to leave it. I think that they would have four, and I agree with the ones that you first said. I think – well, actually, I really think it's going to be interesting to see if Sam Ellinger does make it because, I mean, right, you know, I shouldn't say right now. The last time I checked the Heisman odds, which was, you know, several weeks ago now, they had, you know, Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma had better odds of winning the Heisman 
than Sam Ellinger and Spencer Rattler was yet to start a game in college. So I'm going to be very interested to see how the media actually votes because this is a media vote for the preseason all big 12 team. So I'm going to put Sam Ellinger on my ballot. Um, I do think that Sam Cosme will also be on there. Joseph Osai, I believe so too. And I think Keandre Coburn. Um, I would say Caden Stearns, however, just because he was so up and down, I don't know if if voters will give him the benefit of the doubt after last season. So I'm going to leave it, but I'm going to say that Texas will have four. Okay. All right. Well, there you have it, kids. Um, again, get over to uh, iTunes. Let us know what you think of the the podcast. Subscribe. Um, give us a five-star rating. Give us some feedback. We appreciate it so much. Mm-hmm. And um, and we'll, we'll certainly do it again next week. Taylor, um, thanks so much for everything. You keep the, the show on the rails and, uh, and get it up to the, to the listeners. So thanks for everything you do as the managing editor of Horns 24-7. Um, I'm Chip Brown. Everybody stay safe and keep the faith. And we'll talk to you next week.